right, well hey, good morning everyone. It's great to be with you today. Uh, go ahead and grab a seat. My name's Mike, I'm one of the pastors on the team and, and it's so, so fun to be with you. That was a funny joke, by the way, thank you. Thank you for that. Um, hey, why don't you grab your notes out of your handout and you will see that we are continuing. In fact, we're actually nearing the end of our journey through the book of Colossians. This has been a series called Jesus Over All. And, and that's really been what Paul has been going after, this reality that everything is centered upon the person of Jesus. That there is a supremacy about Jesus, a uniqueness about Jesus that's really important for us to understand. And, and so it's all kind of centered around this person of Jesus. Christ, God in the flesh, who reigns over all. And it's just a masterful book. It's one of my favorites. Maybe you can tell in all the scripture. I just absolutely love it. And we're going to continue in this, uh, the book today. We'll be in chapter, um, we're in chapter three right now. And here's what I want to do. I want to start with a story. Because a buddy of mine was telling me this story, and I found it so interesting. He, he grew up in Southern California, and he had never seen the snow as a young boy. And, and so one day his dad decides, you know what, we're going to go up into the mountains of Southern California. It's wintertime. We're going to go uh, tubing together. So, so they, you know, pile into the car. They get all their tubes and stuff. They, they head up into the mountains. They park the car. Everybody tumbles out. They inflate the tubes. And they start going down this little hill into, like, this ditch. And, and all the, you know, the brothers and sisters and the parents, they're having kind of fun, you know, just down this little slope into a ditch. And, but it wasn't too long before they're like, what's the big deal about tubing? Like, this is not that fun. And, and right about that time, they hear somebody yell at them from sort of across the parking area. They said, hey, are you guys ready to hit the slopes? And they're like, what? And they turn around. And they had parked on the wrong end of a parking lot where a ski resort was located including a whole massive tubing area with like a T-bar and, you know, these, all these runs that they could take on their tubes. And, and my buddy said it was just so interesting. They were just by the side of the road tubing into the ditch. And there's a whole resort right behind them. And it just hit them like there's so much more that's available. And I start with that story because I want you to understand, friends, that in Jesus Christ, there is so much more that's available. There's this excitement and this adventure and this abundance and fullness that Jesus is inviting us into. And so that's what we want to do in a study like this is we want to do that deep dive into what that relationship with Jesus is like because we want to live that so much more. And that's what the Apostle Paul wants as well. And so that's where he's going to go. We're in Colossians 3. Uh, we'll start in verse 16 and, and tackle a number of verses. He says, let the message about Christ in all its richness fill your lives. Can we just pause on, on that phrase for a moment? Let the message of Jesus' unfailing love and limitless grace and immeasurable power fill your life. Can you imagine how much different your life would be if you actually just soaked in that reality? If, if we were just filled with the reality of God's grace and God's love and God's power through the person of Jesus dwelling within us, our lives would change immeasurably, that there would be this incredible richness and sweetness and confidence no matter what was going on in our world. And that's where Paul wants us to be. So he, he's saying, let the message of Christ and all its richness fill your lives. Then he says, teach 
and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. So this is an, the challenge to encourage one another, right? That, that we advise one another with the wisdom that God gives to us. I want you to understand, Jesus does speak to us. He communicates to us personally. I think he wants to speak to us personally in our hearts and to guide and direct us. Jesus also speaks to us through his word. And that's why God has given us his word. And that's why we value the scriptures. We want to hear the the word that he has spoken. And so we go to his word. But friends, understand that God also speaks to us through one another. That God wants us to encourage one another and to counsel one another and to teach and, and to, to build one another up. And so God will use each other. And that's why we make such a big deal about being involved in a group or having a few spiritual friends that you can connect with and encourage and, and help support along this journey. Okay. He keeps going. He says, sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. Friends, we talk about this quite a bit at Overlake, this challenge to worship first. And I know, right off the bat, I know that some of you believe, just as I believe, just as Pastor Jessica believes, that worship is about more than singing songs. Worship is about an entire framework of our lives in which we want all of our lives to be worshiped to God. But please hear me when I say this. Nothing aligns my heart to worship God more than actually singing a song of worship. It is like a fast track to getting my heart and my mind there. And so I just want to encourage you when we're together in corporate, uh, you know, expression, please, like, let yourself be free to worship. Or when you're driving alone in the car, I mean, crank up the radio and just worship. Like, like just go nuts and let the person in the lane next to you think you're nuts. Like, that's okay. But just worship because you want your heart in alignment with uh, worshiping the God who's worthy of all of our worship. And then Paul continues, and he's kind of wrapping this up. He says, and whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. So whatever you do or say, represent. (laughs) You're representing Jesus. And Jesus wants you to represent him. He wants you to speak on his behalf. It's, it's like maybe, you know, if you want to think about the analogy, you're an ambassador. You're a U.S. ambassador to another country. And in that position, in that foreign post, you actually can say, you know, speaking on behalf of the United States, this. And, and, and the reason why you can say that is because that's your job as an ambassador. Your job is to speak for. Your job is to represent. And friends, that's the role that we have as followers of Jesus. If you're a follower of Jesus, then your role is in your workplace. Your role is in your neighborhood, in your family, in your marriage. Your role is to speak as a representative of Jesus and and to be in alignment with him through worship and to let his message of grace and love fill your life so that you can represent him well. Are you with me? So so Paul's kind of making this argument, and it's a beautiful argument. And then he says, giving thanks through him to God the Father, always giving thanks. Uh, some of your translations say, in everything give thanks. And I just want you to understand that being thankful, it really is a lost art. In fact, as I, I don't know if it's universal around the globe, but I know it's true for us as American followers of Jesus, that there is no blessing so rich that we can't find a little something to complain about. 
that complaining is always easier than giving thanks, that, that, that seeing what's wrong is always easier than seeing what's right. And, and so the challenge is that we would actually give thanks, that that would be our heart posture before the Lord. Uh, I, I was thinking that this is actually one of those ways in which Jesus wants to empower us. Because the more aware you are of your blessings, the more aware you are of the good things that God has given you, the more power and confidence you have to face whatever it is that your, your challenges are that day. I, I read about this guy. His name's Neil Parisha. He, he started a blog. It's called A Thousand Awesome Things. And, and the reason why I think this is really interesting is because of the way he started this. He says 10 years ago in his life, uh, his marriage fell apart and his best friend died unexpectedly. And, and within a, the space of a very short amount of time, he found himself in a deep, dark pit of despair. And what he started to do was each day, he started to find something to focus on that was good in his life. And he would just write a little paragraph or two about that thing. And then the next day, he would do the same thing, find something else that was good about his life, some gift that was in his life, and he would focus on that and write about it. And that became a blog, and that blog became a lifeline to help him climb out of that pit of darkness in his life. Friends, if we focus on the good things that God has already given to us, if we focus on the blessings he's already poured out and on the riches that he's already invested into our lives, the relationships of love, we will have so many things to be thankful for no matter what's going on. So that's the next fill-in. My thankful heart changes everything. It changes everything about my perspective on life. And so being thankful is a way to live empowered. And just understand what Paul's doing in this passage. He wants us to live filled and fueled and empowered. And he's going to launch into now a discussion about what healthy relationships can look like in our lives. But he wants us to do this as people who are grateful followers of Jesus, filled with the message of Jesus, living as representatives of Jesus in our world. So that's the context that he's going to go into this next sort of section in Scripture. And what he's going to do in this next passage, if you have your Bibles open, you can already kind of read ahead. You can see he's going to address uh, husbands and wives and children and slaves and masters. That's what Paul's going to do. And it's not the only time in the scriptures that Paul addresses these things specifically and sort of in the way that he does. And I've always found it just a little bit interesting that Paul does this. I was doing some study this week and I, and I discovered something that it was really relevant to this passage. It's not actually in the passage, but it's background to the passage. And here it is. It's, it's just a discovery that in the ancient world, especially the, the ancient Greco-Roman world, there were several ancient writings that addressed the issue of how to have harmony in your home. Sometimes they phrased it, how to set your household table. And these ancient writings spoke to those exact same relationships that Paul mentioned. Husbands, wives, children, slaves, masters. But what was interesting about the ancient writings, by the way, Aristotle did this in his Nicomachean Ethics. So there's a lot of stuff that was out there in the ancient world. I'm sure you're familiar with all of it. I'm, I'm not. I didn't even know. But here's what was interesting about all the ancient writings. They were completely addressed to the man. And all the ancient writings did was they talked about how the man is the master and how the man is to control his spouse 
and how the man is to control his children and how the master is to control his slaves. And when you are in control totally, you will have harmony in your household. So it's against that background that the Apostle Paul is writing this passage. It's again something that was be well, well known in the Greco-Roman world. And so Paul is addressing this and he's trying to bring the kingdom values into this conversation, which was so heavily male dominated. And so it's really important for us to understand what he's writing against so that you can actually see how incredibly progressive Paul is. Because Paul doesn't just address this passage to the man. No, it's actually quite a progressive leap for him to address children and to address women and to address slaves specifically that you have um, self-determination in all this. That the ancient world gave value but not self-determination. And Paul says, no, you actually have value and self-determination in how you approach these relationships. And understand how actually it's incredibly progressive that he starts the passage to the wives. Like, let's just say, you know, it's, it's just such an incredible leap forward to what was the norm, what was normative in the ancient world. Are you guys tracking with me so far? Tell me it wasn't just me and my geekiness that thought this was amazing. This is Paul saying, look, every one of you has value in God's kingdom. And not only that, but he, he does this in a couple of different books. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21, uh, all the way through 33, is a similar passage to the one that he's going to write in Colossians. And again, the kingdom value animated by the person of Jesus is what he's going to go after here. So here's what Paul says in Ephesians 5, 21. He says this. He says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And I would suggest to you that you make a note somewhere. This is the umbrella verse over all Christian relationships. This is the, this is the absolute umbrella that all Christian relationships fall underneath this construct. That, that Paul's saying, look how important this is for you in relationship with one another because you reverence Jesus to have submission to one another. And, and this is the fuel that you'll need uh, the devotion, the adoration you have for Jesus, let that fuel you as you submit to one another because you love him. You know, a wise man told me once that in, in marriage, it's designed to work like this, that we focus on developing our character and serving our spouse's needs. It goes wrong when we focus on developing our spouse's character and serving our own needs. Right? And so what Paul is very clearly saying is because we love him, now submit to one another here. There's this vertical relationships which informs our horizontal relationships. And it's in that context that we read verse 18. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting for those who belong to the Lord. And for submit, you can extend it out with words like serve and love, honor, respect, help, these are all part of, of what's contained in this word submit. And I know some of us, we don't even like the word help. Like that, that word just sort of raises some, some alarms in our mind. But understand this, the, the, the idea of, of help, right, the idea of helping in relationships. You do realize that the Lord of the universe uses this word to describe himself as he relates to us. The word help me. 
in the Old Testament, God gives himself this designation a dozen times throughout Scripture. I was just in Psalms this morning, Psalm 145, Psalm 146. God identifies himself as my helper. So in that context, you need to understand that this is not diminutive. This is divine. That if you have this kind of approach in any relationships, whether it's with your spouse or whether it's with your, your coworkers or whether it's with your children or your neighbors or any context you find yourself in, helping someone else, you are, you are not diminutive. You are an image of the divine. Like that's a beautiful way for us to understand what's going on here. And in Christ-centered relationships, there is no domestic despot. There's no domineering with a rod of iron, no doormats. No, no, we recognize that wives are called to honor and respect husbands, but husbands are also called to many things, including to act in a respectable manner. So there's a lot going on in this context. The irony, I think, is that the more a husband seeks to force his wife to submit to him, uh, the more unchristlike the whole scenario becomes. And it's a little bit like a pit bull fighting a porcupine, okay? Now, just so you know, that dog won the fight, uh, but he paid a price, right? And just because the dog is bigger and stronger and louder does not mean that that was a good idea to get in a fight with a porcupine. And and you know in relationships, everything is so nuanced and subtle that you could very well win a battle but lose the war. And Paul says, husbands, there's a far better way to go than that. Yeah, wives, submit to your husbands, but husbands, listen. And here's where he addresses the men. Husbands, love your wives and never treat them harshly. Uh, here's the fill-in. The value of love supersedes all things. The value of love supersedes all things. And uh, again, I just I want to reiterate the fact that Paul is so revolutionary because his challenge to husbands in this context, it, it, it's so incredibly radical. You see, the ancient world, it was such a man's world, even in the Jewish tradition. So even in the Jewish tradition, women were also treated as little more than chattel. You haven't heard that word for a while, have you? Chattel. I'm kind of impressed with myself for using it. I don't really know what it means. But uh, the idea is that um, love had no real value in marriage. The, 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 the idea of bringing love into the marriage contract, because it was just a contract. It, marriage was a tradition. It was a contract. It was a social order step. But love so rarely was a part of marriage in the ancient world. In fact, it was, it was very dominated. And you know this, that men commanded and women obeyed, and that settled it. And Paul is bringing this incredible revolution to what is the standard norm in the cultural context of the day. He's saying, husbands, love your wives. And honor them and value them and cherish them and serve them and care for them. And, and I want you to understand what's really going on here. He's saying it's not about self-satisfaction. This is about an other-oriented way to engage in this relationship. And it's completely revolutionary. This is not Paul saying the standard lines of the day, men, just control your wives. He's saying, men, love your wives. 
and never treat them harshly. The value of love supersedes all of these things. And so you're to, you're to love them, you're to not be harsh, you're to not be unkind, you're to not be irritable, you're to not be brutal or physically uh, rough with them. And, and so he, there's a lot going on here. And then you add Ephesians 5.21, the call for us to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. You can see how incredibly revolutionary Paul is as he's arguing for these kingdom values in our relationships. Now, I do want to say this, and I I hope you catch this, that there is, in every loving relationship, dynamic. It's it's not a static reality. And so what Paul is not arguing for is for us to make a religious rule and then apply the religious rule every single time the same way no matter what. So, for example, in this passage, he says, wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, love your wives. Don't treat them harshly. Here's what he doesn't mean. Wives, submit to your husbands 100% of the time, all the time, no matter what, but you can be as harsh as you want to about it. That's not what he's arguing. That's not a kingdom value. And he's not saying, husbands, you need to be sweet and kind and gentle as you totally dominate over your wife. That's not a kingdom value either. Are you with me? Tell me you got what I just said. I, I would hate for you to misunderstand what I just said. I'm saying Paul is not arguing those things. And there are times in every relationship, every friendship, every relationship will require mutual submission. There are times in all relationships where being kind and not harsh will cause it to flourish, right? So, so these are values that we want to apply generously on both sides of, of the equation within a, a marriage context. Now, if you're single here and, and, and you're thinking, oh, this has nothing to do with me, please, let, let me just say this. These principles will help you in every relationship in your life. These traits are, they're required in your friendships, they're going to be required in dating life, they're required in work life. These are kingdom attitudes and values, and they will help us experience more in our relationship with Jesus. I just want to say clearly, God loves both wife and husband. God is involved in both husband and wife, and is leading them into the fullness of life. And I believe God will not call us in opposite directions as we follow him. I'll just tell you one story. It's, a, it's about a friend, a couple of friends of mine named Rodney and Jen. And Rodney and Jen, I had the privilege of performing their wedding a number of years ago. And, and, uh, and, and they, they're just a great young couple. Well, Rodney had an opportunity at work, and his opportunity was they wanted to move him to Tampa, Florida. And it, it was kind of an exciting thing, a bit of a promotion. There was a lot of, uh, you know, forward progressive opportunities that were going to open up for him. And so there was some excitement about it. But he was well aware that he was married to an absolute Northwest native who was totally rooted, all kind of family, friendship, relationships here. They were committed at Overlake. So every time he started talking to Jen about the possibility of moving across country, she just said, no way. She just shut the conversation down. And so Rodney came to me, and, and you know, he was, he was wrestling. He was saying, Pastor, you know, what do I do? And, and, um, and so what I told him, just as we processed in that moment, I said, Rodney, here's what you need to understand. The process of making this decision is every bit as important as the decision that you make. You need to understand that you have to honor and love and value Jen all along the way through this relationship because you need to understand God will use you both here and in Tampa 
that God will bless your life both here and in Tampa, that there's, there's all kinds of opportunities that are going to open up one way or the other. So you need to understand that it's about the process of you guys being together in this relationship than it is what the actual decision you make. Secondly, I said, here's the thing. God has moved Jody and, and I three different times throughout the course of our marriage. But every single time, he has moved us together. That he has moved our hearts together before he ever moved us physically. And I believe that God delights in doing it that way. So here's what I would encourage you to do. I would encourage you to just take time and space that you would pray, that you would ask for God's leadership, that you would not force the issue, but just you just listen to what Jesus has in store for you and, and, and encourage Jen to pray with you and, and just see what God does. And so he did that. He, he went home. He told Jen about our conversation. He said, why don't we take two months? Let's not even talk about it again for too much, but let's just pray, see what God has in store for us. So they did that. They, they just started praying about it. One morning, Jen woke up, and she had a great night of sleep. She felt like God met her. She wakes Rodney up. She says, we're going to Tampa. He says, what? He goes, yeah, I, I just feel like that's the, that's the adventure God's leading us into. God will bless us if we go. I, there's something about you that wants to go. I, I just say, let's go. You know, we're young. Let's do it. And, and so they did. And it's funny that I've seen that happen again and again and again. Of course, they moved back after a few years, but that's a different part of the story. <laughs> but I want you to understand God loves both husband and wife, and God's inviting both husband and wife into the fullness of a relationship with one another. And, and the last thing I want to say is that there, if there's any framework in your mind that pits husband against wife, woman against man, any kind of chauvinism that elevates men above women or feminism that elevates women over men, those things aren't from God. And here's why. Because God created both men and women in his image. Because God has saved both men and women through the person of Jesus Christ. Because both men and women are loved as priceless children of Almighty God. And so when it comes to these marriage relationships, the spousal relationships, you need to understand that there are not two sides. There's only one side. It's the side of love. And that's the side that Paul's encouraging us to get onto and, and to be a part of. Are you guys with me? Yeah. Amen. Okay, all right. This is a, maybe a little challenging. I've been trying to walk a fine line. Thanks for hanging with me. So after addressing the kingdom values found in marriage, Paul moves on to parenting. And this is what he says. He says, children, always obey your parents, for this pleases the Lord. You know, I always had a plan. I wanted to shave this into the side of my dog. Because <laughs> my kids pet the dog, and I would love for them just to get reinforcement every day. I was like, obey. You know, I saw, my first 12 years of ministry, I was in youth ministry. And you know students hate this verse, right? They just absolutely hate it. And so they would always come up to me and be like, hey, Pastor Mike, do, like, do, I, do I always have to obey my parents? You know, I'm, yeah, always. That's actually what it says. Always obey your parents. I'm like, yeah, it's a, it's a bummer, I know. But that's, that's the rule. It goes, it goes along with honor your father and your mother, right? So, so that just it sort of makes sense. And then they would come up with hypotheticals. They would say things like, well, what if um, my parents start a bank robbing, you know, gang, and they want me to be their getaway driver, uh, and so they're forcing me to, you know, commit felonies, like, uh, should I obey them then? You know how many times that's actually happened in 28 years of ministry, right? 
so I would just coach them. I was like, well, if, if that ever happens, I say, then you just honor them and you're respectful to them and you have a conversation with them about how grateful you are that they have fed you your whole life and clothed you your whole life and sheltered you their whole life and, and that they have done a good job in making sure you're educated and moral enough to even have concern over this, this you know, challenge that you're facing. And I'd say, of course, I want you to obey Jesus first. But here's the bottom line. Most of the rules are everyday parenting rules like limit your screen time and do your homework and set the table and, and you have to obey those, right? Like there is no getting out of those parental rules. And I just want to say this really clearly. I'm a 48-year-old son and I can't get out of obeying my parents, I can't get out of honoring my father and mother. That, that's just a part of the framework uh, that God has in mind. So are we together in this, that, that this is something that God wants us to do? All the children in the room, we're all children, uh, we are to do this as representatives of Jesus. So if you're a child, part of what you'll be held accountable for is how you obey and honor your parents. And as a parent, part of what you'll be held accountable for is how you parent and encourage your children. And so that's why the next verse is to fathers. Fathers, do not aggravate your children or they will become discouraged. Do not aggravate your children uh, by telling them dad jokes. This is so difficult for me. Just so you know, this, on Wednesday, you know, Halloween, all my kids were out doing stuff with friends. And so my wife and I were just kind of home, a little bit bored. And we decided to start texting them um, dumb Halloween jokes. So like I was texting, what do you call a haunted chicken? A poultry geist. After like two or three jokes, my son just texts back one word, stop. <laughs> Fathers, do not aggravate your children by eating their Halloween candy, right? Which in our home, we call that the dad tax. That's just understood. Do not aggravate your children. And, and, and what Paul's really going after, again, think about it. In the context of historical, the ancient world, they would say, Fathers, what you should do is command your children in everything. Exact precision, exact absolute obedience, exact, you know, whatever words of command and control, uh, that's what was the norm. And so Paul's saying, no, don't aggravate your children. Because they, they could become discouraged and they could lose heart. And so if you are so onerous in your commands constantly, if you constantly reset the bar higher and higher and higher and and you exact precision from them all the time. And, and if you are aggravating them because your punishment for their disobedience or, or, or the, the way in which you come down on them for their missteps is so completely harsh and ruthless, they will become discouraged. And the word discouraged in this Greek context, it actually means they will lose heart. Think about that. You, you don't want your children to lose heart. Why? Because God cares about the heart. God cares so deeply about our hearts. And, and the work of Christ within us is the restoration of our hearts. And, and he doesn't want any of us to lose heart. 
Christ renews our hearts. We're to forgive one another from our hearts. We're to protect our hearts for, from, it, from the flow, the wellspring of our life. And, and as parents, we are charged to care for and steward our, our kiddos' hearts well. And so Paul is saying in this, in this new family that is united under Christ, don't be so exacting or demanding or severe or controlling that you would cause your child to lose heart. That would be so tragic. And the spirit behind this challenge is not only for dads, although I do believe it was written in context to dads, but it's the spirit that, that even as a mother, even as a, a grandparent playing a parenting role or a guardian or, or, or fostering or any of the contexts in which we find ourselves in roles as parents, we want to not discourage, but to encourage. We want to not tear down. We want to build up. We, we don't want to, to take power away and cause them to feel disempowered. We, we want to build them up so they feel empowered, so that they can live the life that Jesus has invited them to live. And, and so how do we do this? Friends, I just want to say Think of the ways in which Jesus has lovingly parented you in your journey. Think of the ways that Jesus has offered you grace and guidance along your faith journey. Think of the ways in which he has been patient and gentle with you through missteps and through disobedience. And, and he has lovingly been by your side no matter what. And, and yet constantly wanting the best. And constantly seeking to lead you into the best and your highest potential. And that's the way that we're to parent and guide our children, right? Not aggravating them so that they're discouraged. But instead coming alongside them and leading them skillfully so that they are encouraged in the Lord. Now, I just want to make this universally relevant because maybe you're single and you have no children and your parents have passed on and you're thinking, how is this passage at all relevant to you? And, and I just, again, want to go back around the kingdom values that Paul is going after because you will do better at your job if you live in harmony with your coworkers and serve them the way this passage encourages your friendships will be stronger if you care for them and practice mutual submission and find yourself living in loving harmony with them. You'll engage the world more effectively if you learn how to serve and to love those who are unlike you and who need your help. And you will have a more vibrant relationship with Jesus if you worship him and seek to represent him and submit to him and follow him and, and thank him with all that you are. And what I'm trying to say in all this, I think what Paul is trying to argue in all this, is that everything is better when Jesus is in it. Amen. Everything's better. Amen. When the love of Jesus fills your life, all things are better. Yes, this passage fuels vibrant marriages and amazing home life, but there is so much more. The challenge is to do relationships the way that he instructs us to. And that is under this umbrella of love. So again, in another letter that Paul writes, he says these words, and, and these are quite famous. You might be familiar with them. 1 Corinthians 13, love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it's not proud, it's not rude, it's not self-seeking, it's not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, 
always perseveres. Friends, Paul says that this is the most excellent way. And you know, God is love. So as you look at that passage for the word love, you can absolutely substitute the word God. That God is patient and that God is kind and that God is not easily angered and that God always trusts and always perseveres and always protects. You can, you can also recognize that God lives in you as a follower of Jesus Christ. That the Holy Spirit of God dwells within you as you follow after him. Which means that as you read this passage, you can substitute your name in place of love. And so, I know this is a bit of a stretch, but I want to do that right now. So on the screen, you will see a blank. And that blank is to be filled with your name, okay? And I'd like for us to read this together out loud, if we can. All right? It's going to sound really, really awkward. <laughs> but I want us to do this because I want you to hear the story of you as we lean more and more into the love of Jesus. So on the count of three, let's read it with your name in for the blank. One, two, three. Mike is patient. Mike is kind. Mike does not envy. Mike does not boast. Mike is not proud. Mike is not rude. Mike is not self-seeking. Mike is not easily angered. Mike keeps no record of wrongs. Mike does not delight in evil, but Mike rejoices with the truth. Mike always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Friends, that's a picture of what it looks like when we allow Jesus to reign over our relationships. That's a picture of what it looks like when we allow the love and the grace in the message of Jesus Christ to fill our lives. That's what it looks like when we allow ourselves to be his representatives in this world, to be his representatives in our homes, to be his representatives with our parents and our children, to be his representatives in our workspaces, our classrooms, our neighborhoods, wherever it is that we find ourselves in. If we're filled and fueled with the love of Jesus Christ, that passage is true for you and for me. Amen. All right, why don't you bow your heads and close your eyes, and let's, let's ask Jesus to continue to call us forward and to continue to bless our relationships as he reigns over them all. Lord Jesus, we want to say thank you. Thank you. And, and Lord, I don't know everybody's situation. I don't know uh, how we all are situated in terms of marriage or parenting or friends, and yet you know everything about each one of us. And I'm so thankful that you do, and I'm so thankful that you have blessed us, that you have given us rich relationships, that you have brought others into our lives that we can build into and, and be encouraged by and, and encourage them as well. And, and Lord, we just recognize that it's hard for us to know all the time how to respond in our relationships and how, how to be just on, on, on the right way to go, how to really parent well, how to really be in a, in a marriage relationship or a relationship with a significant other well. And, and so right now, Jesus, we just ask, would you continue to lead us? Would you continue to guide us? Would you, by the power of your spirit, nudge us and direct us and prompt us and, 
and find us faithful to be fueled by your message of love and grace. Find us faithful to be your representatives in these relationships. And Lord, bless them immeasurably more than we're experiencing now. We ask that you would bless them. We know that in you, no marriage is beyond hope. So we ask that you would bless our marriages. We know that in you, there, there is no child too far gone, that there, 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 is, there is no relationship that is too broken to experience your healing and your mending grace. And so, Jesus, we just lift up our relationships to you now. We ask that you would give us the courage to really do well as your representatives in them. And, uh, and Lord, bless them. We ask for your blessing in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.